0: You're listening to The
1: Happiness Hub, part of the Redshift Community Podcast Network, with me, Liz Parkin, and me, Kedron Elliott. Every episode, we'll share top tips on how to get happy and stay happy. So listen in, get involved, and be happy. you're listening to The Happiness Hub with me, Kedron Elliott, and we are in our fourth series talking all about chronic conditions and hidden diseases. And um, We've had some fantastic guests over the last sort of five, six episodes um, talking about things like fibromyalgia, PCOS, um, arthritis, And today we are talking to a guest about something that's quite close to my heart. If you're a regular listener to the podcast, you'll know that in January I was diagnosed with MS. And I've met some wonderful people during my journey who have been very willing to come and talk to me a little bit about their own experiences. So good morning, Karen. How are you?
0: Hi, I'm good today. I'm good. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Fabulous. So thank you for joining me today. We met virtually, well actually this is the first time we've met virtually over Zoom but we have spoken before through our mutual friend Liz who usually hosts a podcast with me and um, this is something that happened to me and probably happened to you as well when, when I was first diagnosed. Lots of people said I know somebody or I've got a family member who's got MS and they're willing to talk to you about um, any questions that you've got because I think we found during the podcast when we've spoken to people that's one of the things that's really helped them to get to grips with their own conditions about talking to somebody who completely gets it Mm -hmm. so um I know things have been changing a lot for you during lockdown because you're you've been a very busy lady you were looking after the store which was a mobile how would you describe it I can never figure out the way of describing a mobile sort of like refill sort of shop is that right
0: yeah it was like a plastic free it was a plastic free shop um so uh, groceries, toiletries, uh, household items, but all without uh plastic packaging. That was the the basically the idea behind it. So so yes, we we set that up back like in 2019, but unfortunately MS reared it pain in the bum head. <laughs> and I was unfortunately unable to carry on with it. Um so we handed over to a lovely lady called Hannah back in August last year. So that was that one. Uh, and then alongside that. We, my husband and I we also have another a business, a photo bead business, mm. and that has basically obviously just got mothballed for the all of all of lockdown, because we mainly do weddings, which obviously haven't been happening, and then with Boris and his uh, various announcements, things have just gone a bit bonkers now.
1: <laughs> I bet, I bet.
0: <laughs> yeah, trying to fit two years of weddings into one year. And oh, crikey. Yeah, so that's all <laughs> ticking away in the background, and... Uh, yeah basically I was obviously having MS means I can't really go out on the bookings now but it's sort oh. of yeah, getting everything ready and prepped and sorted and everything all of that and uh, yeah, training other people up to uh, uh, look after the booths and things when they're out and because I've sort of realised that well, I'm sure we'll come on to this but there are certain things that are MS friendly and certain things that aren't MS friendly because you never really quite know what you're going to wake up to in the morning, whether or not it will be the pain or the fatigue or you'll be absolutely fine. But doing the photo booze, it's it's hard and it's it's difficult. It's difficult managing it um, alongside MS because obviously it's very time. Bound in terms of we have a booking on this specific date at this specific time, and everything has to be ready. And because I'm a perfectionist, everything has to be absolutely spot on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but yeah, if, you, if you've had a week where MS is saying no, I'm not going to let you do this, then yeah, it's quite tricky. So we made the decision to list the business for sale, which has been really hard because I love what we do mm-hmm. and yeah we've been doing it for nearly 10 years now and uh, yeah we love it like it's it's fab I yeah I still enjoy like being part of people's big day and the fact all our booths are really different and unique and but yeah MS sort of makes you realize actually there are certain things that you need to prioritize because you you have to you have to choose you can't choose You can't do everything. Um, So, yeah, we've listed the business for sale and now I'm looking to swap back over to doing um, digital illustrations and design, which is a lot more MS friendly because I can do it when I'm feeling great and not do it when I need to literally be asleep or sat or my brain is so fogged up that it won't actually process even what we're having for dinner, let alone uh, any complicated logistics arrangements or anything like that. (laughs)
1: that's a constant thing isn't it having that question with your other half and family what do you want for dinner I don't know what do you want for dinner (laughs) that's that's always there in the background
0: well do you know what we came up with a really good coping system for that well go on share with us yeah when I was really when I was really bad um so sort of uh kind of October 2019 that kind of time um we came up with this system where basically we wrote down 14 meals that we all liked we were quite happy eating and then we have a sheet with like a chart on it Mm. and it has basically those 14 meals listed and in each week and then there's like a chart for each week and then in each week we just tick which meals we're going to have that week and then we have a pre-written shopping list this is so organized um pre-written shopping (laughs) list with basically all the things that normal things we buy and then all that has to happen is you just have to go through and tip the things that you need this week and then andy can take that list and go off and it's done and then all the thought is just already taken care of we don't have to have that whole like well, what have we got in and we'll ever need this and oh actually we're missing one ingredient and so yeah we've got rid of all of that and it's a lot calmer now it's just like oh yeah there's still a bit of flexibility it's not like we only eat this on tuesdays mm-hmm. we still obviously like we just pick from whatever seven meals you've chosen that week
1: I've um, i've got a spreadsheet with the meals that we like on it because i love the spreadsheet but i haven't yeah. gone i haven't <laughs> gone as far as to do the ingredients list for those which i think is a really good idea Because then you're flicking back to your recipe books and finding out what you need. So I'm going to do that.
0: (laughs) It really, it really, it really does help. It's one of those little things that I can't remember now. Has anybody sort of talked to you about the spoon theory?
1: Yes. Now, I've never heard about the spoon theory uh, until I got diagnosed with MS. And Saskia, who is, um, she's got bipolar um, and a a number of different kind of conditions, talked about it and and how that's a great way of, of describing fatigue. Do you, yeah. do you do you do use that? Do you use that to talk to your friends and family about things, or
0: yeah, I do, and I do find it helps. Like they can sort of get that because I don't think unless you have the, like fatigue, you it doesn't even cross your sort of mind that you'd have to budget energy. So yeah, so I'm not going to waste any of my spoons of energy on working out things like what we need for dinner and like whether what washing I need to do and that kind of stuff. I'm like right, I'm not having any energy spent on this. Mm -hmm. so it's like this sort of like scrupulous budgeting of energy and how you spend it but yeah basically all this is we have all these like little systems in place that sort of mean I don't have to actually put any real thought into anything Mm -hmm. it's almost like it can be done on autopilot it can be done by either of us it doesn't feel like those are other balls that you're sort of juggling Mm -hmm. Um, and I also think about them as cycles as well and that's quite helpful so um like housework it never ends does it there's it's, it's not like all right okay we're done now I never have to do washing again or we never have to clean the kitchen again or we never have to um, make dinner again oh wish yeah well exactly <laughs> <laughs> like so rather than thinking them as finite tasks which I find quite you know, it's like exhausting I think of them as cycles so where are we in the washing cycle where are we in the feeding ourselves cycle and then it's like oh well we're at this point and more at this point, rather than it feeling like oh, this never-ending list of tasks, because it's not, it's just like a sort of process that keeps going, isn't it? Mm. So yeah, so stuff like that, just different ways of thinking about it. And yeah, lots of spreadsheets. I like well, I like a good spreadsheet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a couple of things there that I find useful that you just said there about budgeting your energy. I like that. And yeah, I think sometimes when you feel like that you've got household tasks that are never-ending it just puts you off because you're like what's the point of cleaning yeah. over the stairs because my stepdaughter's only going to come up there as soon as she gets home and drag all, all sorts of stuff up there but that cycle thing that that helps you manage it and what we found actually speaking to quite a lot of people who've got various different c- conditions they're so creative with the ways that they manage their symptoms and things that they do to help them make their lives a lot easier mm-hmm. so we, we've dived straight in i want i want to go back to the beginning of you if i may a little bit Karen. Oh, yeah. um, this is this is all great stuff i'm i'm learning loads while i'm doing these podcasts with everybody but take us right back to diagnosis because that is a big thing for a lot of people i know we talked briefly before we recorded about your first what well, well, that time that it, it really impacted you and how that was worse for diagnosis but sometimes it can take quite a while to get diagnosed so what was that journey like for you
0: <laughs> I'm laughing because the very start of it was almost kind of like some kind of comedy farce. Right. So, I mentioned the photo booths. Mm-hmm. So our photo booths are quite um, they're quite different, they're, um, and we basically have two of our photo booths are like vintage ones, right. and like we have old brass and mahogany cameras. And we go under the hood to take the pictures. It's all print instantly, but yeah, they're, they're
1: cool. <laughs> it looks like it's old. Story, <laughs> they're, yeah, they're,
0: they're really, well. The actual cameras, the wooden cameras that we have, are actually genuine. They're, they're like sort of yeah Victorian era cameras. And one of them, that the, these cameras are really hard to get hold of, ridiculously hard. Um, and when you can get hold of them, generally they're not in the greatest of conditions. That they're, they're generally need restoring. So we have one of them. And it basically needed the piece of wood on it replacing, but it needed matching in to the original mahogany. Now, slight science lesson, mahogany in the Victorian era was cured. It wasn't stained. They didn't really have what we have was stained, like wood stains now. And they um, they used to cure it with a chemical called potassium dipromate
1: which is not nice stuff oh, it doesn't sound very <laughs> nice no
0: no it's pretty grim I had to have a, I think I had to have a police check to, to get hold of this stuff so I had a police check and I'm like proper oh, petrified yeah. of using this camera it I'm is. like I literally had my mask on my gloves on full visor the lot just to stay in this piece of wood so I stay in this piece of wood I was super careful and then I got pins and needles in both my hands um which just didn't really go away and hasn't today, to be honest. Um, so I'm like, oh, that's weird. So after about six weeks, I'm like, I've proper worked myself up into a frenzy about this now because I'm like, oh my god, I've like poisoned myself with this awful chemical. Like, what the hell have I done? <laughs> Went to the doctors, looks like, I think I've poisoned myself. And he just looks at me as if to say, Oh my god.
1: <laughs> what? <laughs> what have you been googling? <laughs> yeah, he's just
0: like, oh, it's one of those. To be fair to him, he was so patient with me. He went and looked it all up on a poison state and came back and he was like, Yeah, you'd basically have had to have drunk the whole bottle. I'm like, Oh, yeah, it's not that then. Mm-hmm. Then he's like, It's still not normal. And he stuck a pin in my legs and discovered that actually I had loads of numb patches where I couldn't feel, I couldn't really feel anything. I couldn't feel him putting the pin in anyway. But they were in funny places that you wouldn't really realize. Um, mm-hmm. I could sort of upper thighs and stuff I, I did not like
1: notice it. the numbness before then is that something you weren't conscious of I had but you know when you just like dismiss ignore it yeah denial I had... my last, the yeah. last thing, yeah I spoke to about she says denial <laughs> is how I cope with the most of it
0: <laughs> it was stuff like
1: it was all stuff you could just
0: dismiss so yes. for example I got a numb patch on the end of two of my fingers and i just put it down to the fact that i've been like overusing the scissors because i've been doing i can't remember what it was i've been doing but i've been doing something like quite intricate i was like oh i've just just been using scissors and i get it i'd get pins and needles all Over my scalp and numb patches there, but you just like, Oh, I'll just have my hair tied up too tight, or
1: i using it away, don't you? Yeah,
0: yeah, y- you'd feel a bit of a plonker, I think, like going to the doctors, going, I've got this minute little numb patch on my little finger, and you'd just be a bit like, mm, not Going for that, and you don't, I just don't think you really realize that that had been happening for years, but you it wasn't so severe that you'd think, but then when it got to the point where I, you know, pins and needles in my hands and it hadn't gone away, mm. um, I was like "Well, oh, I better go and get this checked out especially and i would worked myself into a frenzy thinking that I've managed to poison myself <laughs> with Victorian chemistry <laughs> okay. as you do yeah <laughs> yeah so and to be fair the doctor was 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 pretty straight with me he sort of basically said well it's going to be one of two things it's either going to be MS but there is a chance it that it could be a brain tumor because that does oh. cause things yeah mm-hmm. so then you get referred and there's just scans and a number puncture and Mm. months and months and months of different tests at which point nobody seemed to be panicking so I'd sort of presumed it wasn't the it wasn't the brain tumor I kind of figured that that tends to light a fire under people Um, my dad was currently having um, at that point he was having treatment for cancer and sort of two things I suppose worth noting one is that Stress is a massive trigger for me mm-hmm. in terms of making my symptoms worse, and it was it, it was obvious looking back that the sort of stresses of my dad undergoing that treatment. Even though I wouldn't have said I was particularly like stressed and up about it, because my dad's he's super chilled. I have a lot. He's a, quite an inspiration to me. He's just like mm, what will be, will be. And it was evidently horrific for him, but he was still like so like cheerful throughout the whole thing, mm-hmm. outwardly anyway. But the stress of that evidently had, had sort of triggered going to the sort of these set of symptoms of. But also, it was interesting to know just how quickly things act when you're diagnosed with cancer, and when if they even think that you've got cancer, it's it's literally like you're almost in the next day kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So we'd sort of on one we kind of realised actually yeah it, it chances are it's not that. So there's the time you finally get your diagnosis, which is almost a year after you first kind of raise it with anybody um, because they have to see if actually things are appearing I think, I think they have to see it over time Yeah. Um, and yeah there's, there seems to be you seem to spend a lot of time in MRI scanners
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, we kind of sort of presumed that yeah it will be MS there's, there's not really anything else it could be um, so yeah the actual diagnosis wasn't a shock it was almost like getting your certificate after you've already done it yeah.
1: before <laughs> Let's see if you qualify for MS. Are you something? Yeah. Have you got enough lesions in there that we can identify? And yeah, 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 yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah so that was that. Really, um, they put me forward for the what they said at the time was called like the first line defence. Right. I don't know if they still call it that because sometimes when you say it to people, they're a bit. I don't know what that is kind of thing, but um, they basically put me forward. Wow, this this was a bit weird actually. I was given this massive pack of stuff. It was huge. It was like a tower of stuff, all about the different treatments available and what this one did and what this one did. And I think the bit that threw me was that I was sort of given like marketing materials for them. Right. I don't know if you were um,
1: uh, no, the the, the nurse gave me a list of five different drugs. They're all disease modifying drugs. And she said, go to the MS Trust site and read through it. I mean, mine was during. COVID so I don't know if that made any kind of difference because I couldn't go anywhere or see anybody and then she said just read up about them and I'll ring you back in a couple of days and then we can discuss which ones you want the lady that I spoke to uh, yesterday was actually in the US when she was diagnosed and she said the drug they anybody who got diagnosed over there with MS was given capaxone because the drug company was paying paying for it and it didn't matter you'd go on that and then if it didn't work for you then they'd then they'd discuss other drugs but it was always capaxone you've got quite a lot of what different sort of marketing material for drugs did you say Yes, yeah. so,
0: and I that's never happened to me before and I was a bit like taken aback because I'm like why would hell would I know I just want a doctor to tell me like hey, this is what, I what do me. yeah <laughs> I think they were I think they were about 10 different ones on the list
1: it's quite over that isn't it when you're given that yeah
0: out. yeah it was um and there was this big long chart of them all, and some they'd crossed through, and some then they didn't use anymore. And there were some that were like ones that you did either every week or every month mm. um, or every day in some cases. And there was one that you did a course of for like eight weeks, that you were going to be hideously ill for eight weeks. Mm. And then there was one basically where, um, which was called Lemtrada, which is the one I chose eventually. You went into hospital for a week. Um, a year apart so I did one now I did my first year 2019 and my second year 2020 so you go in basically every day for a week and I think the idea behind lamtrada is that it basically completely decimates your immune system and then rebuilds it the idea being it's almost like a hard reset and hopefully your body won't attack itself when it resets yeah. And it had yeah had a really high percentage rate of not making you any better in terms of what you already had, but preventing any future relapses. Mm. Yeah, I can't say it was pleasant.
1: <laughs> it's, it's like, <laughs> didn't you say they used, used to use that on cancer patients? It's like, it's, mm. is it almost, it, or is it a, a kind of form of chemotherapy?
0: Sort of. It's not as brutal as chemotherapy. So you don't mm. lose your hair, you're not as ill as you were on chemo. It, it, it is it is nowhere near as, as as dire as that you're not very well mm. or at least I wasn't um I got I well I was sick quite a bit but I think mostly because it sort of triggered like really bad migraines in me for a good few weeks after I got oh, you get this what's called limitrada rash which it's like a very hot prickly sort of Like prick of the heat rash all over your body—that wasn't very nice. (laughs) Um, It goes—it goes pretty quickly. Um, But generally, you feel like you've got the flu. You just, yeah, you're completely wiped out, and you are for quite a while afterwards. Mm. Um, But you, but afterwards, yeah, actually, it does give you a degree of peace of mind in that the relapses I've had, at least, then haven't like they've been almost kind of what I thought. I think they call like quasi relapses. They haven't presented any significant like new symptoms because I think what I was really worried about was that right at this moment in time I'm okay. Like I can pretty much do everything. Yeah, there's the there's the pain and the fatigue, but I've still got the use of my legs. I can still see. I can still hear. And these are all things that MS can can get. Basically, multiple sclerosis is so basically you over around your nerves. You and obviously you will know this, but um. For anyone else that doesn't quite understand like how it works, it's basically around your nerves you have a, like a coating on them called a myelin sheath, mm-hmm. and um, MS basically erodes of that that myelin sheath away. But your symptoms depend on obviously where that erosion is taking place, and when you have an MRI scan, it shows up as like white patches or lesions, like on your on your on your brain and I think on the spinal column as well, mm-hmm. and obviously if it happens to be in the place that controls your hearing then, then that can be an issue if it happens to be in the place that controls your eyes then that can be an issue similarly with your mobility and what, what worried me was that okay what happens if you have another relapse and it's in it, it's in one of those areas mm-hmm. that then does cause you even more significant problems so that was kind of why I chose that treatment really was because it's like gives you that peace of mind to say all right okay yes it's you prefer not to have it but at least in this form it's capable with whereas it it could be a very different picture um Mm -hmm. and it it could be a very different story and and if you don't know that in the future that that's a lot more I think that's a lot more scary if that makes sense.
1: Yeah um thinking about it um Nicola who I interviewed yesterday I think she had that treatment as well and she had two doses of it they'd started her on Copaxone which I'm on and then there was a one where you go in like uh, is it six monthly for like an intravenous uh, infusion of the drug, and then she w- she went and had the Lemtrada and she had two doses of it and she said yes yeah, she was very very poorly afterwards because her mobility is is really um as degraded quite quite quickly and also she had a problem with her sight and which is quite a common symptom isn't it of MS but so how how did how are your symptoms so you had your diagnosis of your t- tingling in your hands and things so. How are your symptoms leading up to going, having that, deciding on that treatment for Lentrada? Had it uh, uh, gotten worse? And
0: Yeah, so over the year of, of being diagnosed, the tingling, well, the tingling never went away. That's one mm-hmm. of the things to sort of deal with on a daily basis. Um, you still have and, that now as well? Yeah, mm-hmm. in my fingers, which which gets worse at times. So sometimes I really struggle with fingers. makes me quite difficult to get hold of because I can't do things on my phone or on a keyboard if my fingers are really bad right. so I tend to like store all my messages up and I have to remember to go back and not reply to some things um I have it in my feet as well which is uncomfortable but not dreadful but the worst thing for me is that the pins and needles I get it all over when I have to go through temperature changes so when it's sort of like a constant temperature and it's like this time of year it's okay but um winter going from central heating outside and and vice versa that's quite tricky but the worst thing is bathing and showering because obviously you you go through quite even if you have the water cool or lukewarm or whatever you're still going through that temperature change Mm -hmm. so I get like instant pins and needles all over which is horribly painful
1: (laughs) um it lasts no
0: Mm. it lasts about an hour and a half to two hours you when you're trying
1: to to be dealing with that yeah
0: yeah sort of have to crack on and ignore it but um having a shower is a, it feels like a short, a chore that sounds terrible doesn't it but and obviously it, sounds,
1: it sounds like torture not not yeah. just a chore it sounds like torture
0: <laughs> it is it's not pleasant and that's probably the very worst thing i think is just yeah that oh uh, yeah it's pain it's actually pain And i have to like we've had to adapt the bathroom and things like that so that i can sit down because um if it gets bad, it's like you know when you've sat on your legs for like <laughs> too long. Mm-hmm. It's that it, that that like, kind of pain. It's like yeah. So as long as I've got the ability to sort of like yeah, if my legs stop working completely, sit down and things like that. But yeah, that's a bit of a pain. So yeah, mostly it's like the sort of sensory things. I do get like my vision. It gets sort of almost like you've got water filling up in your eyes. And I my hearing flicks in and out, but not all the time. And it's usually only in one ear. So yeah, it's all kind of copeable with, but yeah, there, 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 are, there are certainly a lot more severe symptoms than I experienced. So mm-hmm. I, I usually, most of the time, I consider myself pretty lucky, really. I Well, really lucky. Um, a, it wasn't a brain tumour, and B, actually, what I've got at the minute is pretty copeable with, and it, lo- it looks like the Lemtrada has, has been successful in terms of nothing's happened particularly since in terms of new new lesions and things. So, yeah but it's um it's a pretty full-on treatment. I think it probably would have felt worse than it did had my dad literally not just been through chemo yeah, yeah. and I think you you kind of you, 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 you witness firsthand just how brutal that is. I think anything by comparison to that sort of seems
1: heals <laughs> into significance here, yeah, you yeah. Um, do, do you take any medication for for your m s now
0: uh some mostly painkillers. The I've had periods of like vertigo with it. Oh, that was fun. Um, that sense to come and go. It's nowhere near as bad as periods I've had in the past. But um, the drugs they can give you for that are horrible. I don't know what it was about me that reacted badly to these drugs, but I don't think I slept for four days. Oh God, they were terrible. So I don't take those on that side. Although unfortunately, one of the side effects of the big treatment that I had um, was problems with your thyroid. Yeah. which might come to pass might not it runs in our family so who knows it could have been the fact that it was just genetic it could have been the fact that the treatment finally uh nuked my thyroid enough and it gave up so i have to take i have daily medication for that basically which is it's just thyroxine to replace what my thyroid doesn't um
1: again nicola that i spoke to yesterday and you'll be able to hear it when i, I upload the podcast but she said that she had real problems with the thyroid she had said she almost had well she had she was very close to having thyroid toxicity, which can be really, really, um, really yeah. bad. So wow. she, she experienced something similar to that and whether that was connected or not. I mean, there's all these not contrary um, things like the lady that I spoke to who had bipolar. She takes quite a lot of medication for that. But then that caused her diabetes and it caused her to have um. Alterative colitis so you know there's all sorts of things and 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 another thing that I've talked quite a bit about on MS not too much detail is digestive issues and toilet issues that kind of come along with MS as well yes. um, but can you talk to us a little bit about like the the kind of mental um, sort of side of things as well as the physical because you were doing a lot of different kind of jobs and you've had to change your life you, well things that you were saying to me has, has been life-changing in, in terms of you know, managing your symptoms and not making sure that you're not pushing yourself too far.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, oh, I've always been a doer, and I've always been like, oh, as I said before, an all-or-nothing kind of person. I'm not like, just go for it all yeah. out. And yeah, I'm also one of these people that if you say you can't do something, that's like a red rag to a ball and I'm like, of course, I'm going to do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah when I was sort of first diagnosed with MS my, my mindset was very much well I'm just going to pretty much ignore this and crack on and still do everything I want to do and way too much usually mm-hmm. um and of course I can cope with this I'm Wonder Woman don't you know um
1: <laughs> I always used to be want to be Wonder Woman we used to le- watch it when I was a kid not wearing those spangly pants though that's a bit too far
0: <laughs> no I, I think maybe I'm maybe 30 years too late for spangly
1: pants. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs>
0: yeah that was kind of like sort of my mindset so I was still sort of doing loads and then um basically yeah the store mm. came up or um, the plastic worked down my plastic feature and it was something that I'm I still I'm really passionate about and really wanted to go ahead and do it so I felt absolutely great at the time I was feeling fine daily symptoms were pretty good um so I took it on <laughs> and obviously went I, I, at it absolutely hammer and tongs, like I'm, I'm a bit liable to do. Um, we had loads of challenges, challenges that basically we overcame, but did, like, would, would basically mean that we were so short on time before launch. And basically I pushed myself to way too hard and was just sort of like, get through it, get through it, be all right, get through it. Solve all the problems, had amazing help from lots of different areas. Um, and lots of different people, but got to sort of just after launch and literally uh, physically collapsed um, and ended up back in hospital again and, and made myself really poorly with various things that were sort of, would have been bad in themselves, but you'd have probably got over them, but, but having MS mm-hmm. just it made it all the more worse. And instead of it being something that you could kind of get over in a couple of weeks, it it basically made me sort of really poorly triggered a kind of sort of another sort of semi-relapse and when we're, we're now another 18 months down the line and I'm still I'm still battling with it and still struggling to kind of get over some of the hangover from that and it must admit having to step away from the store and having to um, admit that I wasn't able to do everything I wanted was a was hundred times worse than even being diagnosed with it
1: that's a reality isn't it because sometimes when you're diagnosed it just kind of doesn't sink in and because ms is so different for everybody you're like ah you know i'll just be able to oh. get on with it yeah
0: it'll be fine yeah, yeah. and i think because up to that point i had not had anything seriously wrong with me that you mm-hmm. hadn't like got over in a couple of weeks and it's like oh yeah you've got a cold or you've got the flu but i'll be fine in a few weeks There'd never really been anything that bad and i, I don't think you quite comprehend that it's like this is it now so yeah, learning the lessons about overdoing it and having to sort of step away from the, that the store and realize I could, wasn't just wasn't cap- like capable physically of of doing all I wanted to do. Yeah, it was really hard, hmm. harder than being diagnosed and having to admit that actually I'm going to have to make adjustments and I'm going to have to sort of treat my life in a different way and come into terms with that and eventually come into the realization that dif- different doesn't necessarily mean worse different can actually mean a lot better and I was saying before that I needed to learn that lesson I needed to learn it the hard way Mm -hmm. and whilst that period of time was horrific it was awful I think I'll be better for it now for the next 20 30 hopefully 40 years because I think that lesson was so hard to learn and but has etched so deeply that I now know actually I've I've got to work with MS, not against it. Yeah. I can't just ignore it. I need to actually do things a little differently so that um, I can things are kind of more positive overall.
1: But it's so, looking after yourself as well, isn't it? Making sure you're okay. So what kind of things do you kind of have in, have in place? Or do you have like triggers or just like your awareness to say to just check out with yourself that you're all right? What sort of things do you do or have?
0: Yeah. Well my body now tells me very, very vocally if I've mm. overdone it or I'm doing things it doesn't like, like the pain gets a lot worse. Mm. So I'll have general pains on a day-to-day basis, but they start all getting a lot more severe if yeah if I've done too much physically or mentally um stress mm-hmm. is a massive a massive trigger for me and that oh it's a hard one you get a bit frustrated trying to explain it to people because oh everyone doesn't like stress but I see for example I see my husband he'll have stresses with his job and he won't he won't really realize it but I can almost sort of see it in him he'll complain that he's got like neck pains or he'll come mm-hmm. like his back hurts or and you're sort of like, yeah, I think you're just a bit wound up with something ridiculous that's happened at work or whatnot. And he's like, oh, no, I'm fine, I'm not stressed. I don't think you quite realise it. But in my case, my body starts telling me, yeah, I'm really quite loudly, I'll get sort of like stabbing pains in my arms and in my legs. I'll get like things that sort of feels like cramp, but it lasts quite a bit longer. That kind of thing. Yeah, the pins and needles comes on. Um, So, yeah, if I know that I've been thinking about something that's quite emotionally taxing or quite stressful, then, yeah, it's like, (sighs) what are you doing? (laughs) No, I'm not having this. Similarly, I found quite recently that, um, and this has been a really interesting ride, but I found that if I eat the wrong things, then Mm -hmm. my body starts telling me that quite vocally as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so it's, um, I know quite quickly and i know then that i need to do something about it fairly uh, quickly so try and remove the cause of the stress yeah. um i've also tried to work quite hardly with building like resilience to stress because i kind of think life isn't stress free you you can't some stresses you'll never be able to mm-hmm. just remove i mean i've i've got a daughter as amazing as she is That's kind of what you sign up for when you sign up for kids, isn't it, really? (laughs) It's like, this is going to be it now until she's probably at least 30. And even then she'll probably still cause me stresses. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, yeah, learning about, yeah, just, yeah, yeah, simple stuff that it's nothing major. But, yeah, then sort of how to switch off and and, and just relax and take the good and the bad and just that it'll all be all right in the end. Like, Mm. just these things will come, they'll pass
1: um so that kind of thing is that is that is that resilience you talk about very much a mental thing about how you're kind of perceiving it because you talked uh, it just made me think about when you were talking about your dad and he was going through it and he was like well, it, what will be what will be is that yeah. kind, is that the kind of resilience you're talking about it's like changing your mindset about it yeah yeah
0: yeah just these things will happen it will not be as bad as you have in your head um
1: yeah
0: the worst-case scenario is not the end of the world, so you don't need to be expending some of your precious spoons of energy yeah. worrying about this. Something will happen, and oh, other things as well, like not second-guessing people's subtext. Okay. I I am a terrible one for like being terribly anxious that I've suddenly upset somebody. Uh-huh and they, they haven't in really told me that there's a problem I'm like oh but they they didn't say hello Um oh. it's just like just stop they haven't told you that there's a problem you do not need to presume there is a problem until somebody specifically says that there is a problem mm-hmm. so don't so I, can, like that,
1: I, I can completely relate to that I'm always <laughs> waiting for for somebody to fall out with me because I've done something and they haven't or if you say something to somebody and they're like no what what are you talking about and it's because you just build it up in your own head don't you And you're like oh god they didn't do this and that means they're pissed off of me and uh, because I didn't do that or that or that and you're like oh god you can send yourself absolutely bonkers yeah and I
0: and and I, yeah I do I still do it but I'm getting better at not doing it <laughs> <laughs> like yeah like there's
1: it's recognizing a... it isn't it it's recognizing when you're doing it because sometimes it's like it just goes on you like okay like stop it stop having that thought process it's hard though it does take a lot of practice
0: it is I did it oh, I did it the other day I got myself in a right bother about something and it took me but I did manage to like sit myself down and almost have a stern word with myself and just say just you're being ridiculous stop she usually yeah she's usually something like with with school or other parents or and you're just like oh no. oh no, I'm getting all this wrong what am I doing ah. No most of us
1: go around like um being a bit like that I remember um I was I've, I've trained to be a counselor and I had this um amazing supervisor called Billy I, actually I said I'd get him on the podcast because he's quite a character and he said like you know most of us are just going around kind of going <laughs> behind the scenes but just putting a mask on so like you know yeah. you might be picking the kids up from the school but there's probably other people there going I'm doing it all of this wrong I'm just that we all just play it by ear and hoping we're getting things right. Nobody knows what they're doing. No, I don't think they do. <laughs>
0: and and often things I feel like they need to apologize for other people haven't even noticed. Yeah. And I'm just like oh my god <laughs> yeah it is yeah mad. So yeah they didn't like not to do that kind of thing. But I kind of think these things, they take practice. It's not something that you can just instantly do. Like, yeah, like having this sort of skill, I think. And like, almost like muscles not to get stressed about things. I think it, it, it's something that you hone over time. It's something that you have to practice and you have to, you can't just expect to do it like that. Um, and you're certainly not born with it. I mean, quite the opposite. I think we're sort of, we're born with this inherent like stressing tendency. So, uh, yeah, so stuff like that. I can't can't remember where I've
1: gone. I've gone off on this tangent now. Sorry. No, My friend Ben, who we've had on the podcast for a few times because he did a a wellness program with us, always says about your brain being like a muscle. And like with any muscle, you have to exercise it. So you just don't go to the gym once and expect to come out with like a six-pack. And the same is with trying to train your brain. He says it takes practice. And your brain's always going to do that old trick, just going back to what it's always done. And he says, "Yeah, you just need to exercise it, and like any other muscle." Which I'd never really thought about it that way, but he's he's completely right. Well,
0: if you don't use it, you lose it as well.
1: Yeah, completely. Exactly. Yeah. Um, for for anybody who's listening, and maybe is going through kind of the same process, or obviously be the exact exactly the same process, but going through a diagnosis of MS and learning how to look after themselves, what's your best pieces of advice?
0: oh that's a big one (laughs) yeah so I suppose my first one would be if you can look up anything to help about coping with change Mm -hmm. do that almost as a priority because I think the worst thing is this this you're going into this unknown and back to the whole your brain automatically thinks that unknown is terrible and awful and and it's not actually life does go on you'll adapt it will be different some things will be worse and some things will be better Mm -hmm. but focus on the better things and generally just go into it it's not better it's not worse it's just different and it's almost like a phase of life so I've said this to people before friends that have been have got really down about reaching a a big milestone birthday oh yeah um it's I think sometimes it's a bit similar to that it's just a different phase of life Mm. And the last phase of life that you're in, yeah, it's just like a chapter. There were some good things about it. There were some bad things about it. And it's exactly the same with the next phase of life. Okay, so, yeah, you're leaving your 20s and you're leaving... I wish. <laughs> that was a while ago. <laughs> yeah, well, it wasn't me too, but... <laughs> um, but, yeah, yeah, I remember some friends that were, they were turning 30 and they were like, proper distressed like. About it. like well yeah you're, le- you're leaving behind your drunken nights like and stuff or well, not necessarily like you could still those in your 30s but you're into a new phase of life with lots of new exciting things similar like i'm, I'm about to be 14 in january which i'm really excited about it's got a zero and i get some party <laughs> <laughs> but i'm like well hey it's a lot rather than the alternative because let's face it i, I could have walked into that doctor's and he said it was a brain tumor yeah. and i would not yeah. here right now um mm-hmm. So I'm like, right, I made it three to 40. Hey, that's worth celebrating. But <laughs> B, actually, the last decade has been amazingly exciting. And the decade before that was amazingly exciting in a different way and a different way again. And I'm pretty sure that the decade between 40 and 50 will also be amazing and also be really exciting. And I think when you're diagnosed with something like, like MS, um, I can't speak for other things, but... There's so many negative things that you could focus on, but actually, there's loads of positive things. Mm-hmm. It, so it gives you a chance to take stock and a really good kick up the bond to do that. So, are you running around like a lunatic, being really stressed in the job that you do? Do you have enough time for your friends and for your family and for, for doing? For stuff you like as that? well. But yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you have to budget your energy, and it is just a budgeting. It's you still do have some energy. You actually realise, actually this is what's important and this is where I want to spend my energy and you've got a absolutely solid copper bottom reason to do that which doesn't crop up very much in your life so it's like right no I'm not gonna spend my spoons of energy this day on know, washing or work or whatever it may be I'm going to spend it playing play with my daughter Mm -hmm. or going on a walk or and it it can sometimes actually be the motivation you need. So that would be my first piece of advice is actually find yourself aligning and and don't think of it as worse. Just think of it as different. Mm -hmm. Um my second piece of advice would be to find a good way of how to explain it to people. Okay. Which is really hard because the chances are a lot of the people around you are not going to have experienced anything even remotely like it and it's very difficult for them to understand for example I was mentioning earlier the difference between fatigue and being tired everybody has experienced being tired they know what that feels like but not many people have explained what fatigue is and how it is completely different to being tired Mm -hmm. and it's just yeah. Whether there's lots of ways of analogies. The spoon analogy is one of them. I often describe it like sort of feeling like someone's taking your batteries out, or yeah, draining your really batteries. The way,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. Um. Just that there isn't the power to do that. That there isn't the energy there. What else? Yeah. Just getting them to understand what it's like. Mm-hmm. Um. I find it quite helpful to like write that down. I I love writing anyway I've always I've always written lots of stuff and I found like writing like stories about it helped because it helps them to understand a bit more you can sort of put them into your mindset almost they when I think when you read a character in a book you're seeing life through their eyes aren't you and I think Mm -hmm. that's helped me
1: but yeah finding
0: ways of explaining it to other people and then yeah the third thing I would say is spend a bit of your energy up front getting rid of stuff you don't have to think about or don't have to do. So I read a really good quote about this the other day and it basically said something along the lines of don't spend your time trying to do more, concentrate on having to do less. And I was like, actually, that makes sense. So like we do with the spreadsheets and the dinner and Hmm. that kind of thing, anything that you can ditch, it <laughs> like and yeah just just spend your time focusing on what actually you want to do rather yeah, and, than
1: and what's important done. yeah definitely yeah. and I think in the modern day and this is what causes a lot of stress with people is there seems to be this attachment to people being busy all the time well you, you know you're important you're doing well if you're busy all the time and you shouldn't be taking time to relax or doing nothing but but no that's a big part of life Everybody yeah. has to take time out for themselves, mindfulness, and that's why everybody's so stressed all the time.
0: Yeah. It's like being busy is a badge of honor. Yeah. And it's almost like you feel that people won't th- feel like you have worth if you're not constantly busy doing four million things. And that is a complete and utter nonsense. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, ditching that. That that comes from somebody that literally it was used to being yeah. all the yeah. go all the time yeah. <laughs> never doing never stopping anything and now it's like right if i want to sit and play minecraft all day then i'm going jolly well going to do that because my body will thank me for it ultimately
1: yeah. Yeah. that must be such a big shift for you though i mean you sound when you're talking about it now you sound all quite matter-of-fact about it and it's like this is the way things are but it, that's such a change in personality isn't it yeah
0: and lifestyle yeah yeah I've had to like focus on stuff that makes me almost feel busy but not be busy yeah. Minecraft is amazing for that <laughs> I'm like, 10 year old but um I can be sat there not really um expending masses of energy not really expanding masses of brain power but I'm still building something it's like Lego digital Lego yeah 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 um, but yeah that kind of thing or finding a hobby I think the way you produce something I think actually making things um if you're that kind of way inclined or even if you're not I think that is a a brilliant thing to focus on because Mm. you still feel like you're achieving something but without that that kind of pressure that it has to be achieved in terms of oh I have to get this piece of work done or I have to have this done for this or so I think uh, yeah I think those, those those kind of things actually are they're, they're a really good way of coping with that yeah but yeah it, it has been a massively seismic shift mm-hmm. like asking for help as well that was a big
1: I a bit
0: change
1: so you're um, probably used to doing it all yourself aren't you yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah but people generally do. I mean, there's a big stigma about that, about us as, as British asking people for help. But generally, people do want to help, don't they? You're not burdening somebody. If somebody is your true friend or loves you to bits, they're not going to be bothered about you asking them to help them.
0: No, not in the slightest. And I think people don't often know what to do to help mm. in lots of situations, not just when you fall ill. For example, oh, I remember I remember going back to one when, when, when I had Erin and um people weren't they're not quite sure what to do like what is best to do and the most useful ones were were, were people just like what would you like me to do yeah 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 yeah. and it was amazing but then others that would sort of like not really do stuff so either not do much or or all sorts of the most bizarre of things and you'd be like that's not helping at all
1: (laughs) Um, I'm intrigued now (laughs) But I suppose you you're completely right because some people like uh, my friends had a had a baby and she was talking about her partner's family getting involved and she was like, well, they haven't done much to get involved, but I don't know if it's because they're like they don't want to be too overbearing or you know do the do the wrong thing. And I'm not asking them because I don't know if they want to. or They don't want to, and it's just like just talk to each other, just ask each other what we, what you would like help with. People don't, do they? <laughs> Why do we make it so complicated for ourselves?
0: I know. Well, I've, I've realised that it's awkward, it's really awkward for people to help unless they have something very specific to help yes. with. Yes. So, asking for sort of general help tends to be a bit frustrating for both sides, but asking for something very specific, it would really help if you could do this, is it, it, yeah, it seems to be a lot better. I've kind of learned that lesson. So, I think having MS asking specific people for specific help with specific like things Mm
1: -hmm.
0: works a lot better and and feeling better about doing that and realizing that yeah that makes them feel better as well because yeah generally you want to do stuff
1: Mm. and sometimes people don't need to need specific things from from people sometimes just being there just knowing that somebody's there to call on that might be all that they need yeah, um, but it's just checking it out with them. Seems simple when you sit down and talk about it here, but when you're in it, it's a different kettle of fish altogether. <laughs> we're we coming to the end of the podcast now, Karen. So thank you ever so much for for joining us. Really enjoyed talking to you today. Um, oh. One thing we always do ask our guests is about what makes them happy. So we're halfway through 2021. Can you believe it's July already? what What's been making you happy during the last sort of six months?
0: Oh, sunshine.
1: Yes, getting out yes. and about
0: and doing some more stuff I've been enjoying getting back to doing some more exercise that's been making me happy
1: mm-hmm.
0: and doing fun stuff with my daughter and I was seeing her go through all her first year at school and oh how far they've come in a year mm-hmm. like yeah I love hearing about you know, what they've been getting up to and the random games that they play and that makes me happy Hearing people being so happy that their weddings are going ahead. Yeah. <laughs> After we've dealt with so many phone calls about, oh, home uh, uh, again. Yeah. Nice nice summer things, mm. barbecue and, yeah, doing nice nice stuff with friends outside. Yeah. It really
1: does keep raining. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I think the good weather always makes people feel better is getting all that good vitamin D and being outside. When we did our first series of the podcast – and we just had random guests on because we didn't really know what, what we were doing, didn't have themes. And we, everybody pretty much during that first um, series said that getting outside and being in nature, going for a walk, spending time outside with friends was a was, um, was thing that made them happy. It's a common thing.
0: Oh, That's what I do. Exercise with MS, it, for a lot of people, can be really hard it's like i just go for a run well my core heats up to like the temperature of the sun if I <laughs> do it so I go for a walk every day but what I've started doing is like I have my rucksack full of like bags of flour and bottles of water so that that helps increase the intensity without making yeah, me feel like I'm about to die I'm absolutely like rigorous about going on my walk each morning partly because I know that if I keep on with my walk each day and I Budget some of my spoons of energy on doing that. Ultimately, it increases the number of spoons of energy I have in a day. So it's almost like an investment in my budgeting of energy. I budget some of it each day for doing that, like mm. exercise, because ultimately that's what's going to increase my um, number of spoon allocation.
1: I know sometimes it's hard getting out the door to do that sort of thing because you're tired, but when you do it, you do get more spoons back. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <I love> spoons. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's all about the spoons.
1: Yeah. So thank you ever so much, Karen. It's been great talking to you. Thank you for coming on. Uh, I wish you all the best and I'm sure we'll stay in touch because it was great talking to you when I first had my diagnosis because there was just so much information to take in.
0: You too. Hope to speak soon. <laughs>
1: You're listening to The Happiness Hub, part of the Redshift Community Podcast Network with me, Liz Parkin, and me, Kedron Elliott. Every episode, we'll share top tips on how to get happy and stay happy. So listen in, get involved, and be happy.